Well, happy Independence Day um, as we celebrate our independence as a nation today. I'm excited. I love the independence we have as a freed country. On July 4th, 1776, Congress declared that the 13 American colonies were no longer subject to Britain and King George III. And now we're a united, free, and independent state. Yep, that's what we are. Some days it seems like that was prophetic. But we are, amen? amen. Just a fun fact for you, I kind of geeked out on 4th of July today while, I mean this week as I was prepping my message. This is, the on, this is only the 34th time that July 4th has landed on a Sunday since 1776. Yeah, see what you learn when you come to church? You're welcome. All I had to do was Google it. But we enjoy this privilege of freedom, don't we? I tell you, I don't want to live anywhere else. I've been to other countries, and I couldn't wait to come back home. And I love living in the USA. Come on, somebody. And so the title of my message today is Dependence Days. Dependence Days. I want us to always remember today that our freedom as a nation was given to us by other people who were willing to sacrifice their lives. And it's been defended, and it's been given, and it's been challenged, but those people again and again rise up to afford us the freedom that we have today. And we should always be grateful for that. Always grateful for the freedom we've been given. As believers, our freedom is given to us by one person only, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross, gave his life up for all of us so that we could live an abundant, free life here on this earth. Amen? Amen. And we should always be grateful for that. So our freedom, whether as a nation or as believers, should be handled with great care and with extreme gratitude. Mm -hmm. Great care and extreme gratitude. There's plenty of things I don't like about America right now, but I still love the country that I live in. And so I'm grateful, and I want to stay grateful. I've got four concerns I want to share with you real quick before I get into the message. They kind of set up the message a little bit. Four concerns just presently. There's more than this, but these are the four pressing things that are bothering me right now. Number one is that we've taken our independence too far. That's bothering me. Number two, the wrong people seem to have the greatest influence today. Athletes, actors, musicians, media, the wrong people seem to have the greatest influence today. The third thing that's bothering me is that evil agendas are being forced on us. Transgenderism, gay pride, transracialism, critical race theory, all these things are being forced on us today and I got an issue with it. I don't have an issue with a gay person. I don't have an issue with a homosexual. I have an issue with the sin of it all, and I really have an issue with them forcing it on us. I got an issue. And the fourth concern that I have today is that the church has a bad habit of following the pattern of the world. You can read it from the front of the book to the back of the book. There was many times that the, the church, the people of God, would turn their back on God and join in on what the world was doing. 
And then God would lift his hand from them and they would go through persecution and trials and, and oppression and then God would come back and rescue and then they would turn back to him and then the people would turn back again later back to the world. And my concern today is that the church is gonna do that once again. You see, I see the patterns. I see how, how what's, being, what's being forced on us today and the world has accepted. You watch 10 years from now, maybe even sooner, because it seems like things are speeding up. Within 10 years, the church is going to start to accept some of the things that the world has already accepted. It's a pattern. And my prayer is not here, not in Eunice. Not in this area. We're going to push back. The Bible says if you resist the enemy, he's going to run from you. So those are my concerns. Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 1 what happens when we get into that state. When we get into that state where we've taken our independence too far and we don't need God anymore. Romans 1.24, Paul said this, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. How did they get there? You ever wonder, how do you get there? He said it in verse 21. He said, they wouldn't worship God or even give him thanks. Anytime you go through life and there's no worship in your life and there's no thanks in your life, my friend, you have grown to be too independent. You're too independent. When's the last time you had your own little worship service with Jesus? When's the last time you got on your knees before God with tears streaming down your face, thanking him for everything that he's done for you? Thanking him for being so faithful in your life. Thanking him for being the deliverer of your life. Where there's no worship and there's no gratitude, you're too independent. They took their independence too far. And instead of relying on God, they relied on themselves and others. One of the best tests of your dependence on God is not when you're going through something bad, it's when you're going through something good. Because anybody, a blind man can run to God when things are going bad. But what do you do when things are going good? Do you pause long enough to give him thanks? Do you pause long enough to tell him how great he is and how awesome he is and how wonderful he is? Because when we're in a crisis, we run to him. But when we have victory, we run away from him. It's funny, but it seems like it's easier to run to God when we're going through something than after we've already gone through something. So I want to show you something from Jesus today, how Jesus taught his disciples to keep their dependence on God. Jesus was very crafty with his words, y'all. You really got to pay attention to what Jesus says and how he says it, because it all means something. His words are not light and fluffy. His words are deep, heavy, and rich. And you have to listen to the language of Jesus. So the disciples came to Jesus and they saw he had been praying. He, he would get along, get up early. He would go to a solitary place and he would come back and they said, Lord, we want to do what you're doing. That's what happens when you hang out with Jesus. You want to do what he does, right? We want to do what you're doing. Teach us how to pray. How many of you watch The Chosen? 
Okay, the chosen this past episode showed the moment where Jesus came out of his quiet place and the disciples approached him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. It was so awesome to see just a visual of that moment because they were hungry and he had the food. Come on, somebody. So I want to show you something in the Lord's Prayer. How many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father? Come on, you prayed before every football game if you played football? Pre-game meal, somebody say prayer. <laughs> Come on. Like, no passion. <laughs> that prayer, by the way, it is a prayer, but, but, but Jesus meant that prayer to be the structure, the, the framework of how all prayer should happen. So he gives his disciples, remember, they said, teach us how to pray. He said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, but I can't pray for you. Come on. But I'm going to teach you how to pray. This is the basic structure that I use when I pray. So he gives it to them, and I want to break that apart today. And I want you to, as we're learning the basic structures of this prayer, I want you to listen. Listen to the language that Jesus uses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You hearing the language? That's the language of dependence. That is not the language of independence. Jesus takes a moment to tell the first guys that would build his church, the guys that all the churches would be built on top of, and he gives them this basic structure of how to pray, and the whole language of the prayer is dependence on God. So number one, Jesus taught them to acknowledge Authority, our Father who art in heaven. He says, when you pray, every time you pray, acknowledge the Father in heaven. Acknowledge your authority because the minute you quit acknowledging your authority, you start becoming your own authority. Because the language of today is this. Here's the language of today. Me, mine, ours, I am, I want, I need. That's the language of today. Who's the authority of the world today? Me. Me, myself, and I. We don't respect police officers. We don't respect school teachers and principals. We don't respect politicians that, have, that the Lord has given governance over us. I'm preaching to me too. We don't respect our military. Come on. We don't want to hear what God has to say. I want to do it my way. Today's culture is self-reliant, self-centered, and me-focused. It's all about me, 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 me. You ever paid attention to how many times you say me and I? I dare you to count it. Might teach you something about yourself. In fact, some of you need to get you a composition book because you say it that many times. I was joking. Just 
okay, it's fine. But we're living in a day where men want to be women and they believe they have the right to do so. I am my own authority. I don't need permission. I don't want to know what God thinks. Jesus taught his disciples the polar opposite. You keep the authority in front of you. Every time you pray, if it's 50 times a day, you acknowledge the authority in your life. Because this is something we have to understand. Consistent acknowledgement of God's authority leads to consistent dependence on his authority. So he taught them how to acknowledge the proper authority. The second thing he did was he taught them how to worship. May your name be kept holy. God, you're awesome. God, you're mighty. You're mighty. You're strong. You're wonderful. What's your worship sound like? When you're lifting up the name of Jesus, what does it sound like? What language are you using? We need to pay attention to what the world is worshiping right now. What's the world worshiping? Racial division, sexuality, government handouts, rights. I got rights to this and rights to that and rights to this. Really? Jesus shows them where to keep their worship. He shows them who gets it and who doesn't. This is something you might ought to write down. If my worship is focused on him, it's less likely to get focused on them, him, her, it, or me. Did you hear all those pronouns? He taught them how to worship when praying. Hmm. You know, worship is a sign of dependence. Worship is a sign of surrender. You don't need music to worship. Best worship set I ever had was no music playing at all. My tears were singing off the front of my face. That's worship. We got to get back to that place. I appreciate all that the girls do and the guys do, and they do an incredible job. And I love sitting here with you guys and worshiping and the presence of God comes. But there's more than that. As good as that is, there's more than that. And you better be getting you some because if you're not getting you some, you're dry. You're empty. You're independent. <laughs> the third thing Jesus taught him was submission to God's kingdom and his will. So, so important today. Submission to God's kingdom and God's will. Too many people today want to be the king of their own lives. My will trumps everybody else's will, including God's. You see, in the world, it looks pretty clear. We can see it clearly in the world today. We don't have to look very hard, do we? It looks like this in the world. It's in almost every TV show, movie, media outlet, literally everywhere we turn, you see this radical independence. That's what it is. It's a radical independence. I don't need this. I don't need that. I definitely don't need God. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm the captain of my own ship. I live my life the way I want to live my life. Radical independence. That's what it looks like in the world. Not hard to find. Just turn your TV on. In fact, I'm right at the edge. I'm about to unplug the button. I'm about to unplug it. Can't watch nothing. Can't watch nothing without seeing two women in bed together or two men kissing each other, trying to force something down my throat. 
Let me get back on the press. <laughs> it was a pretty box to stand on, though. I ain't going to lie to you. But how, how does it look, how does it show up in the church? Because there's a radical independence that's showing up in the church today. It's starting to creep in. What does it look like? How do we identify it? How do I see it in my own life? We've got to look a little bit closer, but Christian independence looks like no submission to God or to others. The Bible says to submit yourself one to another, and it also says to submit yourself to him. Woo! Are you an independent Christian? It looks like I'll call you if I need you. It looks like no relationships, no growth, moral compromise, no repentance, no confession, no accountability, no courage, and no boldness. That's what it looks like. Christian independence. You might have to look a little bit closer, but it's creeping into the camp, y'all. And I'm here to tell you today that a compromised church has no courage. It has no courage because you cannot live independent of God and still walk in the courage and the boldness of God. You cannot do it because that kind of courage and boldness only comes in relationship and presence with God. So your reluctance to submit to God's will is the indicator that you're too independent. I'm going to show you to you at the end of the message real clear, hopefully. I want you to understand this, that submission to God's kingdom and his will is a blessing for you, but it's also a blessing for those around you. Listen clearly. Cheryl and I's dependence on God, our submission to God's will and to God's kingdom is not just for us. We get to enjoy it now, but it's for the generations coming after us. It's for the people that God gives us influence over. We have to submit and we have to follow God's kingdom and his will if we want this thing to continue to go. Because I can't just go, I hope it happens. And it's painful at times. Come on. It's painful at times. Just because it's painful doesn't mean it's not worth it. Just because it might stress you out a little bit doesn't mean it ain't worth it. Just because you might have to get up in your closet and cry your eyes out before Jesus don't mean that it ain't worth it. You got to see what's coming after you. There's a line of generations coming after you that can be radically changed by your submission to God's kingdom and his will. So it's not just for you, it's for those around you. Let me let Brother James preach to you for a second. James chapter 4, verse 1 to 10 from the message translation. I just love the way he says this. Listen to what he says. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and keep, keep and you fight to you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. 
And do you suppose that God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he is, fierce, he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you can find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games is over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It is the only way you'll get back to your feet. Come on, James can preach. Amen? So Jesus teaches them how to acknowledge authority, how to worship when they pray. And he teaches them how to submit to God's kingdom and his will. When's the last time you said, God, may your will be done and not mine? When's the last time you woke up before you went to work and said, Lord, you have your way? Even though I got it all scheduled out and on a plan with time slots. I already know what the afternoon's gonna look like. Because some of you thrive in that environment. It's also exciting to live outside of that environment. Number four, Jesus teaches them how to request for needs, forgiveness, protection, and rescue. So let me ask you a question. Are you a make it happen kind of person? Come on, be honest, you in church. Are you a make it happen? Like if something happens and, it, and it's coming against you, you're like, I'll make it happen. Anybody? Raise your hand. Come on. Oh, there's more than y'all. No, no, y'all lying. Some of you don't know yourselves. Make it happen. I'm going to make this happen. That's been my whole life. If me and God's ever butted heads, it's because I'm trying to make it happen in my own strength. After two back surgeries and two knee surgeries, I'm starting to catch on. <laughs> I ain't what I used to be. In fact, I never was. Really? Amen? Amen. You might get away with that I'm going to make it happen attitude for a little while, but sooner or later, God has a, has a way of showing us that we're limited and that we need him. So the next time you fall on your face, all broke down, busted, and disgusted, just humble yourself and say, Lord, I was stubborn. Lord, I was prideful. I tried to make it happen myself. I really do need you. And if it happens again the next day, say it all over again. One day you'll convince yourself to just submit. At least that's what's working for me. But it's been my experience that every time I live in my own ability, in my own strength, in my own wisdom, sooner or later, I find the end of that. But when I live dependent on God, it seems like things shift. Things turn around. Do you know two people can go through the same storm, one dependent on God and one living independent of God, and they can go through that same storm differently? What's the difference maker? One person invited Jesus into the storm. The other person said, I'll meet you on the other side. And so what almost killed one person didn't kill the other person because Jesus was with them and they actually grew through the storm and they didn't almost die from the storm. Does that make sense? So in 2018, I made a decision.
to, to pray very specifically. I changed up my prayer life. I was, I was sitting uh, under Pastor Tim Delina's teaching uh, once a month, and, and he, he really influenced me for a moment. And in 2018, I took my, wait, that's my Bible. That's my journal. I took my journal. It was a new journal at the time. That's why it's all the way at the beginning. I took my journal, and I started praying some very specific things. So I'm going to let you into my journal this morning. Brace yourself. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'll leave all the bad parts out. This is what I began to pray very specifically every morning. Dependence, prayer. Lord, I pray for the discipline in every area of my life. Lord, help me to, to be warm in my expressions and in my voice. He's still working on that. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm a work in progress. Lord, help me to communicate my needs better. Lord, give me vision for my family. Give me vision for this church. I prayed in, in um, December. On December, I prayed in, in 2018 for God to increase our income. I just, just prayed. I, just didn't, I, didn't, I was tired of assuming he was going to do things and he never did them. I decided to pray about them in a dependent kind of way. And I said, Lord, would you increase my income? And then on December the 3rd, 2018, he, I wrote it down. He increased us by $1,000 a month. I'm glad I'm not still assuming. <laughs> so is my checkbook. <laughs> I prayed for debt cancellation, cards, cars, and houses. I prayed for college tuition for Virginia, Ethan, and Anna, and God's been working all that out. We prayed for Virginia's computer, and God worked that out. We prayed for a plan for finances, and we've got one. We prayed, I prayed to be a better reader. He must have that one on the bottom of the list. We're going to get to it sooner or later. <laughs> I prayed that he would help me identify the leaders around me and help me to see them. I prayed that he would help me to get healthy in my spirit, my soul, my body, my mind, and my emotions, and so on and so on. And I learned something very valuable about writing down my prayers and being very intentional to pray dependently. When I pray dependently, it postures me to relate to God in a dependent kind of way. Is this making sense? So, so I wrote them down. Now, December the 3rd, 2018, when we got a $1,000 increase, what do you think I did? I didn't just go, it's about time. I got on my knees. My wife and I grabbed each other's hands and we cried and we said, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I went to my journal and I wrote it in my journal. Why? So I can remember to stick it in the devil's face every chance I get. I prayed, he heard, and he did. Amen. Amen? And so what happens is when you pray dependently, when you learn to live dependent on God, you start to live in a new land called the land of awe and wonder. It's a land that most of us haven't experienced today, but it's the land of awe and wonder. It means this, that when I get up in the morning, I've got an anticipation, I'm going to see some awe and some wonder. My spiritual great-grandfather, Brother Coletti Keith, made a statement one day, and I didn't quite understand what, it, I didn't quite understand what he meant, but he, he, he made this statement. He said, I live under an open heaven. 
I was like, Ooh, that sounds really good. But what does that mean? And I was tempted to call him and tempted to ask him. And the Lord helped me realize he lives under, it's simple, Jamie. <laughs> I'm always complicating things. He just lives under an open heaven. Like the door never gets closed. Like the phone never hangs up. Come on, somebody. Like the communication never stops. And you know who's got the most stories out of anybody I know in this whole world? is Brother Kaleti Keeve. I could call him right now and he'll give you a fresh story of what Jesus is doing right now. Right now. We're people of God. We should always have a story of a right now God. You see, I spent most of my life just assuming that God knew what I needed and he would give it to me. And I've quickly realized that he, he doesn't want me to just trust that he knows what I need. He wants me to join in on the experience he wants me to be a part of what he's doing. So when I pray dependently and I write some things down, I'm joining in the journey with Jesus. Come on. He doesn't want me to just live in the land where God knows what I need. He's going to take care of it. It's going to be all fine. That's great. Okay, good. You got a little bit of faith. Congratulations. How about you have a little bit more faith and get in that journey with him? Does that make sense? So living and praying dependently sets you up to experience the greatness of God and keep you in awe and wonder. We can live in awe and wonder and we can always have a story to tell. What's the last thing God did? How long ago was that? Is it time for a fresh one? Come on, y'all. You can freeze gumbo and recook it all you want to, but sooner or later it gets old. I don't know why I said that. It just popped in my head. That helps somebody with ADD, I think. Or at least the next time you heat up your gumbo, you're going to remember this message. Maybe. Lord, help me. <laughs> we should always have a fresh story to tell of what God is doing right now. When Jesus said to the disciples in the first chapter of Acts to go into all the world and, and be a witness to me, he wasn't just talking about preaching the gospel. He was talking about tell them what I'm doing right now. Because listen, we live in a closed off world. The, 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 the minute you would mention God or it seems religious, shut you down. That's fine. Just tell them about your deliverance. Just tell them about your breakthrough. Let them see it in your life. Tell the story of a right now God who's alive and well in this jacked up world. And they'll start to see a difference between the world and God. And they'll start to go, man, they got something that's real Share your story. So let me show you something. I'm going to wrap this up with Gideon. Go with me to the Old Testament. How many of you are familiar with the story of Gideon? How many of you have heard the story of Gideon? Gideon's a great story. Um, 
The Israelites, just to set the story up, they're in a desperate place. Once again, they've turned their back on God. They've become independent of God. They started worshiping false gods, doing their own thing. God took his hand off of them. Their enemies came in and pillaged the land. They were oppressed. They were depressed. They were starving. They were in a bad place. And Gideon is actually hiding on the threshing floor for his life. (laughs) He's hiding. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I'm like, hold up, this brother's hiding. He's not fighting. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. He's hiding. He's scared. Mighty hero. He ain't even done nothing yet. It shows me that Gideon didn't see himself like God saw him. And so do most of us. Unfortunately, you were raised in a fallen world. Likely with some jacked up parents and relatives. Come on, somebody. I got the best mother-in-law in the whole world. Just side note. She buys me bluebell. She, she's the reason I'm in this family. <laughs> I love Cheryl now, but boy, I started out with the bluebell. I'm going to stop before I get too far. God saw Gideon differently than Gideon saw himself. So do most of us. In fact, I'll tell you today, most of us are not living near our potential. We're not nearly living up to how God sees us. When God calls out to a man hiding in a threshing floor, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That means God knew something about Gideon that Gideon didn't know about himself. I came here today to tell you God knows more about you than you know about yourself. And the day you decide to trust him with what he knows about you will be the day you start to live in awe and wonder. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you, exclamation mark. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The Lord told him to go with the strength that you have. How many of us are waiting for God to give us something else before we go? Ah, caught you sleeping. Yep. How many of you are waiting to get some more education, some more talent, some more skill, maybe more permission, whatever it is, maybe more courage or boldness before you go? The Lord's saying to you today, just go with what you got. Just go with what you got. Take what you got and go. If it's leading a life group, go lead a life group. If it's joining a life group, just go like you are. I had a thought this week, I'm a blast, I'm a, I want to plaster a big old sign on the front that says, just come like you are. Just come like you are. And I'll put a side note, make sure you got clothes on. <laughs> 
<laughs> Today you got to be Pacific, right? <laughs> hey, we had one sleeping on the sidewalk last week. Gerald got here at 7 o'clock. Brother was snoring on the front sidewalk. I said, okay, Lord, you're going to drop him off. He said to go in the strength that you have. In other words, don't wait for something else. You don't need anything else. Some of us are wasting too much time waiting on something that's not coming. He says, I'm sending you. He didn't ask Gideon. He sent him. That's authority. The angel of the Lord didn't say, oh, Gideon, would you please, there's a great opportunity in front of you, and try to put a bow and a ribbon on it to make it look all pretty so that Gideon would be enticed and say, okay, I'll go. He said, no, go. I'm sending you. So that means if he's choosing not to go, he's choosing to walk in disobedience. <laughs> I'm sending you. What does that say? That says, that, that says this to me, that if God chose you, it's because he already knows how he's going to use you. And we just need to trust him. But Gideon got some excuses. Anybody got some excuses? Don't raise your hands. Got some excuses? How many of you got some real familiar excuses? Like you don't even have to try. They just come out your mouth. I love that commercial where the guy's have, uh, he's having a barbecue at his house and he asks his friends, hey, we're moving next week. Uh, he says, hey, we're moving. Would you guys want to help? And, the, and his one friend goes, no, I'm busy that week. And he goes, but I didn't even say what weekend we were moving. <laughs> you got some excuses? Let's look at Gideon's excuses for a second. How can I rescue Israel? Listen to what he's believing about himself. I am the weakest. I am the least. What is your statement of excuse? I am this. I am that. I want you to understand something today that God didn't rebuke Gideon for having excuses. Most of, most of us were raised to believe that if you have an excuse, you're no good. It's bad to have an excuse. As hard as I've tried, I still got excuses. But I've come to learn that God's not afraid of my excuses. In fact, he's not even mad at me for having excuses. In fact, he didn't even address Gideon's excuse. He didn't correct him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't change his mind. God just kept going with the plan and the mission. Gideon, I'm sending you. Mighty hero, the Lord's with you. Let's go, son. Let's go. Yeah, but I'm the weakest and I'm the smallest. Okay, whatever. Let's go. Just go with what you got, buddy boy. You're going to be okay. It's okay to have excuses as long as your excuses don't have you. Stuck in a spot that you don't belong. But I want you to see what Gideon did with his excuses. Because some of you are really good at not giving excuses. Oh yeah, you've learned. Oh, I don't give excuses. Uh -uh. 
Oh, no, you get in trouble when you give excuses. So what do you do? Well, I just act like I'm going to do it. Then I turn around and don't do it. Oh, that's very real. So most of us think we're going to get in trouble if we give God our excuses. So we tell him yes, but then we don't do. I think he would rather hear your excuses than you do what he said to do anyway. Because what Gideon did, and I think it's so profound, is Gideon took his excuses and he gave them to God. He gave his excuses to God. Give them. Don't hold them. Give them. Tell him. In fact, he already knows, but tell him anyway because you're telling him is letting them go. I can't tell you how many times I've said to the Lord when he wants me to do something, Lord, I'm scared. Like, are you with me? I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. Give him your excuses and quit holding on to them. <laughs> Pretty simple, huh? He gave God his excuses, but he didn't run and hide. It's funny because after Gideon gives God his excuses, he starts to worship God. It was almost like he released something to God. You got to get this today. It's almost like he, he, he's, he's confronted with God. God's not asking him. God's saying, I'm sending you. You're mighty hero. I'll be with you. Go and rescue Israel from Midian. And, and it's like Gideon goes, but I'm the weakest and I'm the least. How can I? And it's almost like something got released from within him. I personally believe it was a deliverance type of moment for, for Gideon where what had been holding him back his whole life finally came out. And who did it come out with? Nobody better than God, right? The Bible says that Gideon goes into worship, but he didn't play no music. This is what worship looked like for Gideon. He began to sacrifice to God. He went into the village and he tore down the altar of Baal. And he also tore down the Asherah poles in his, in his city. Now watch this. He's still afraid. <laughs> Courage is not the absence of being afraid. Courage is doing what you need to do while you're afraid. Amen. Right? Gideon's still afraid. You know when he tore down the altar and the Asherah poles? While everybody was sleeping. He's gangster. I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm going to do it at night. Come on. Everybody's sleeping. He's tearing down the altar, tearing down the poles. He grabs up some, some boulders and he makes an altar to the Lord. And he's trying to hurry up before the sun comes up and he gets himself in trouble. It was an act of worship. because he just walked through a type of deliverance. And when everybody woke up, the first thing they saw was Baal was torn down, the Asherah poles were torn down, and they almost killed Gideon. 
Thank you, Lord, for the test. <laughs> but they didn't. And Gideon mounts up an army. I, est I estimate somewhere around 32,000 men were in his army. That's a pretty good army, eh? But God wasn't done yet. <laughs> Judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Wait, what? Like, we just went through all this stuff. You got me out of the, the threshing floor. I was cringed up in the fetal position, thinking I was about to die. I finally get to a place where I'm going to go to war. And get, I got me an army. I'm ready to go. And the Lord says, you got too many. Wait, what? you got too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Maybe that's why he told him in chapter 6, just go in the strength that you have. Maybe that's why he's telling us today that you don't need anything more than what you have. So twice God challenges Gideon <laughs> to minimize his army. The first time, 22,000 cut out, went home. I ain't lying, I'd have drug up. I'd have smoothed up and like, no, nah, bro, this ain't God, that's the devil. <laughs> I'm just being honest. The second time, God minimizes his army down to 300. You see, God's always proving that he's greater than anything we have. So question, do you still believe that you need something more than you already have to do what God tells you to do? Are you still questioning that today? But God's not done. And Gideon's not done. See, Gideon was walking in obedience I kind of think maybe hesitantly, I think he was still wondering, I think he was still questioning God, and God takes him in a moment and says to him, I want you to, him and his 300 men have come upon the Midianites camping in a valley, and God tells Gideon, I want you to, I want you to go and listen to what the enemy's saying, sneak into their camp and listen to what they're saying. And this is so funny. God says, and if you're afraid, you can take your partner with you. <laughs> so, so he brought a buddy. <laughs> Come on. Thank God for other people, right? Thank God somebody else is like, well, I'll go with you. Come on, we all need a friend. Let me be like, yeah, let's do that. You better have another friend that can think. Come on, somebody. Because <laughs> I've been that friend too many times. Like, yes, sounds good. So him and his friend go into the enemy's camp and they sneak outside of one of, the, one of the tents and they're listening. God said to go and listen, very important. He said, go and listen to what the enemy is saying. So they sneak up to the tent and they're listening to a conversation between two Midianite warriors. One warrior saying, man, I had a dream last night and he's describing the dream. And the other Midianite warrior interprets the dream. He says, man, your dream says that God is with Gideon and they're going to destroy us. Watch this. 
verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israel camp and shouted, get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Did you catch that? Did you see what just happened? He, he was scared to go, so he brought a friend, and they went into the camp, and he listened, and he heard that the enemy is more afraid than I should be of him. He's more afraid of me than I should be of him. And it so overwhelmed him that in the middle of the enemy's camp, he gets on his knees, and he worships God. So what are you worried about? You can have a worship service in the enemy's camp if you want to. I believe that from the time Gideon first met the angel until this moment outside of the tent, that at any time in between, if Gideon gets too independent, if Gideon turns his back on God, if Gideon walks away and, walks away and quits, he never gets the revelation that he gets when he's outside the enemy's tent. So have you quit? Have you taken a sidebar? Have you gone distracted? Have you grown too independent? You don't like God's way, so you made your own way? You're the one missing out. Gideon's in the middle of the enemy's army and he's on his knees because something happened inside of him. God called him out of a cave, out of a hiding place. Called him something that he never thought he could be. Mighty hero. Showed himself to Gideon. Gideon gets delivered from his own excuses tears down all the evil in his, in, his, in, his, in his community, tears it down and lifts God back up. Do you know what Gideon did? It's not complicated. He didn't quit. He took one step after the other, after the other. And God said, go deliver Midian. Go deliver Israel from the Midianites. How can I do that? I'm the weakest and the least. I'm sending you. Okay, another step, another step. Every step opened his eyes even more. Every step represents a new revelation. Come on. So how many of you stuck on, on your left foot right now and you ain't taking another step? What's God calling you to? Where's he sending you? What's he telling you to do next that you're reluctant to do? You stopped, he didn't. Pick your foot up and move it to the front. Shift your weight and land that foot and watch what God does. You might just have a worship service in the middle of the enemy's camp. Let me see if I can wrap this up. We will never know all that God is 
until we go all in with him. From when he met the angel until God delivered him from the army and he defeated his enemy, he learned all that God is. Don't stay stuck in your stale revelation of who God is. Move into an unknown place and learn something new about God. Let me give you this final encouragement. Five things I want you to do. You better be ready to write. It's going to be quick. Maybe. I don't know. Number one, if you're sitting in that chair and you've been reluctant to take the next step, or maybe you're here today and you've grown too independent, you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, you don't worship, you don't give thanks. It's been a long time. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to pull you out of it. I'm saying you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. I've been there. It's not a good place. It's a hard place. It's a rocky place. It's a dry land that nobody can live in. Are you hearing me? Come out of that. God is always calling us to repentance, always calling us out of those places. If that's you, number one, I want you to repent. That means to simply turn from that and take the next step that God wants you to take. Come back into his presence. Let him him speak life over you. He may just say, mighty hero. Number two, I want to encourage you to put both feet in. No more flirting with the world. No more. Jesus is returning, y'all. He's coming back any minute. And if we're not ready, we're going to miss out. And I don't want him to come back and I got one foot in the world and the other foot in the kingdom and I'm trying to play the balancing act. I want him to come back and I'm swimming, swimming in the kingdom, both feet in. I'm going all at it. Put both feet in. Third thing I want to encourage you with is to keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open too. Because what you see and what you hear, other people need to see and they need to hear. Keep your eyes open. Repent, put both feet in, keep your eyes open. Number four, when found in awe and wonder, I want you to do one thing, worship. Worship. Every single person in this building today that is a follower of Jesus needs to know how to worship. I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about driving in your truck. I'm talking about walking through a field. I'm talking about in the middle of work. When you get in awe and wonder, break out into worship and watch what God does. And watch what happens to you. Remember, Paul said God turned them over because they wouldn't worship him and they wouldn't give him thanks. And number five, tell others all that God is doing right now. People want to hear about a right now God. And he is a right now God. He's the God that still moves today. What do you believe in God for? What do you 
writing in your journal? Are you getting specific? Are you praying dependent? Are you living dependent? What do you believe in God for? What's he calling you into? thought this morning I feel like the Lord gave it to me was whatever you're frustrated with is what you're not praying about whatever's frustrating you you're likely struggling to pray about quit being frustrated start praying in a dependent way for God to show up amen Help us to live in awe and wonder. Help us to live dependent, God. Lord, forgive us for being independent of you. Yes, we're free. Yes, you want us to live free. But you want us to live free with you, not away from you. So God, help us. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Like Gideon, God, I pray that you'll you'll begin to lead us to tear down things that don't belong in our lives. Things that are only distractions, things that are only holding us back. Whatever it is, God. Can you say that this morning? Can you say whatever it is, God? Whatever it is, even the thing you value the most, even the thing that's most precious to you, can you say to God today, even that, even that, can you put it on the altar? Lord, if this is causing my independence, if this has become a false God to me, I'll tear it down. God, help us to live in the land of awe and wonder. Always having a story to tell of what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter what the world looks like. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You're God. We're your children.
this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?